presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. This is our final session in our series that I've entitled Testing, Testing, Discovering What God Already Knows About Us. And our, <coughs> excuse me, having a little trouble with my voice. Uh, our subject this morning is preparing for our tests that I've also subtitled uh, Getting a Handle on Test Anxiety. Some of you know that uh, for several years I, I taught uh, uh, psych courses at uh, what is now Troy University. At the time, it was Troy State University. And uh, students were always struggling with uh, test anxiety, some some more than others. I ran across uh, uh, an interesting little thing from an assistant uh, professor of mathematics at the University of New Mexico in Los Alamos. And it was something that she wrote to aid her students in in reducing their math test anxiety. And uh, she mentioned all five causes. Uh, I'm I'm not sure about one of them, but uh, I thought I would just, uh, we'd just start our time together today looking at, uh, thinking about four of them and thinking about them really briefly in terms of the things that we've been talking about over these last weeks. First thing she mentioned was uh, the, one of the causes of uh, test anxiety is the association of grades, that is outcome, and a sense of personal worth uh, can cause test anxiety. And yet we know from the scriptures that uh, God loved us prior to the time that he saved us. He loved us from all eternity. And uh, because of that, uh, I don't have to prove anything God. God already knows everything about me. He knows what all my problems and foibles are. And the, the Bible clearly tells us in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 and also in Romans chapter 5 that um, as believers that we are fully accepted, accepted and fully uh, and completely accepted in Christ Jesus. If we know Christ Jesus, we need not fear about our own personal worth. We need not fear about uh, about the outcome of a test uh, in terms of uh, of losing out with God because He knows the end from the beginning. Uh, another thing that uh, that this particular professor mentioned was that uh, test anxiety can come from a feeling of uh, a lack of self uh, a lack of control, and that certainly is true. Uh, and one of the things that I've tried to emphasize over these weeks together as we've talked about testing is that you and I need to remember that God is always in control. Nothing ever takes Him by surprise. We're surprised, we're disappointed, uh, things happen in our lives, but God is always in control. He is never surprised about anything. Sometimes... Uh, in a math test or in any other kind of test, including spiritual tests, uh, uh, one of the things that can cause test anxiety is uh, thinking that we're going to be placed into a course or a situation that is above our 
ability to cope with that situation. And yet, again, one of the things we've emphasized over these weeks together is 1 Corinthians 10.13, that no temptation or no testing has overtaken you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be uh, tempted or tested beyond your ability, but will, with the temptation, also make the way of escape in order that you may be able to endure it. So God has thoroughly prepared us for uh, the tests that He brings into our lives uh, and God is not surprised by the way that we respond to the test. But again, what God is doing by testing us is showing us things about ourselves that for one reason or another we just don't realize are there. I mean, it's, it's easy to think we're trusting God when essentially we're we're really trusting ourselves where maybe we're trusting our winsomeness we're trusting our uh, our ability to strategize and make things work out rather than trusting uh, in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and saying he's given me everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him um, and certainly uh, one one final thing that this professor uh, mentioned in uh, and this was something that I just ran across on the uh, on the internet. Said that uh, test anxiety can develop from the fear of uh, alienation or rejection by parents or other members of the family or friends because of low grades, because of poor grades on on a test, uh, because of the outcome of a test. And while that is true, it certainly is true that that. Uh, that that can happen. We can be rejected by friends. We can be rejected by family. But the truth is, is that God will never reject us. If we belong to Him, uh, you know, family may abandon us. A spouse may abandon us. Our children may abandon us. But the truth is that God never, ever, ever will abandon us. He is never surprised by the outcome of the test. So, I just thought that might be an interesting thing. In fact, I think I, I may have mailed that little blurb to you, uh, emailed it to you uh, a week or so ago, a few days ago anyway, just uh, in, in thinking about some of these things that we're going to be discussing. So today we're going to talk about preparing for our tests and getting a handle on test anxiety. And uh, some of the things that we've been discussing over the last few weeks together, we're going to talk about again, I hope with maybe just a little bit of a, a slightly different emphasis, but the Bible is just replete with wonderful illustrations about testing. So before we get into the Scriptures, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we bow our heads in Your presence. We praise You and thank You because You are God and there is no other. We thank You that You have provided everything uh, pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Your Son. We thank You for Your love and Your mercy and Your grace. We thank You for Your faithfulness that regardless of how tests turn out, that we know that we can always count on You. So now, Father, our prayer in this moment is that Your Word will be our rule, that Your Spirit will be our teacher, and that Your greater glory will be our supreme concern. And we offer this prayer through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. 
Now, just <clears throat> once more, again, by <clears throat> and please bear with me with my voice thing. Once more, by way of review, just to be sure we understand that we're we're all on the right page. We're all using the same definitions. Remember that testing um, is not is is not designed to reveal something to God. God is sovereign. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. So when God tests us, it's not because the the Ancient of Days is, is sitting on his throne scratching his head saying, I wonder what they'll do if we do if I do so and so. That is never, ever, ever the case. But the reason God tests us uh, at least uh, as believers, is because He wants to show us the genuineness of the faith that we are professing in Him. He wants to develop our maturity and help us to learn to persevere. Remember again that verse from 1 Corinthians ten thirteen that God will provide the way of escape. You say, hot dog, that's great. I can get out of this. No, read the rest of the verse. God will provide the way of escape in order that you may be able to endure it. Uh, perseverance and endurance comes by staying under the load for a, for a while. And of course, the ultimate purpose that, for which God tests us is to, <clears throat> is to glorify Himself. And, uh, and God will be glorified. He'll, uh, uh, our, our passing the test will bring glory to Him. If we flunk the test, uh, He won't let us flunk the course, but uh, He'll give the test again and He'll be glorified in that sense because of His great grace and mercy that He, that he shows to us. Uh, psalm 139 is a, is a marvelous psalm. Uh, if you're ever wondering why God tests us, because he says, you know, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. The truth is, and again, the point I'm emphasizing is that God already knows everything about us. So all of his testing is never to, to ascertain information about us. It's to show us things about ourselves and to help us to develop that character of the Lord Jesus Christ and to learn to depend upon Him rather than learning to depend upon our own sinful strategies for living and for making things work out. Uh, in that little box in your notes, uh, that passage from Psalm, also from Psalm 139, it's, it's, the, it's the last part of the psalm where David prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Now, once more, David is, is, is not under the impression that there are things about him that maybe God is not aware of, so Lord, you need to kind of pay real close attention and check me out so that you'll find out what's going on. That's not the idea at all. The idea is, Lord, look at me intimately. You you already know all of these things, but as you look at me intimately, you will I will begin to see these things about myself, and there are things for which I can repent. There are things for which I can learn to trust you. That's that's the whole idea behind this. See if there's any uh, 
any offensive way in me. Well, I know there's lots of offensive ways in me. What I don't know is what those, what some of those offensive ways are. I, I do know what some of them are, but I'm sure there are some that I don't know. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in a way that will bring honor and glory to you. Now, I want us to, with with that little review in uh, in 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 mind let's uh let's turn our attention to mark chapter 6 uh and we want to look at this testing of the twelve. We've, we've talked about that a little bit in the past, but I want us to look at it uh, in, a, in a slightly different uh, light, perhaps, this time. The time is, uh, is the springtime of uh, probably A.D. 29. It's, uh, it's near the end of the great Galilean ministry. Uh, so... What's going to happen is uh, near the end of this year, that's when Jesus is going to turn his attention toward Jerusalem. He's going to make his way down there. And then the next spring uh, in A.D. 30 is when he will he will be crucified and subsequently uh, resurrected. When we come to Mark chapter 6, there are several things I want you to notice. One of them is that the full complement of disciples, that is the twelve, have been with Jesus for at least a year. Remember, early on in the ministry of Jesus, he only had about five or six guys with him. That was the that was the case uh, at the first miracle at Cana in Galilee. And then shortly after that, everybody kind of went back to their own business. We're not sure how long they were back in their old haunts. But then Jesus made the official call to them, and that's when they, uh, for example, Peter and James and John left their nets and followed Jesus, and they were devoted to him completely. Completely uh, after that time, but uh, during during all of this time that these uh, this full complement of uh, of disciples have been with Jesus, they've witnessed a lot of things. They have seen Jesus heal the sick and cleanse lepers and raise the dead. Uh, they have seen him deliver demon possessed people. They've seen him calm a storm. In fact, uh, Jesus was present in the boat at that time. Remember when uh, when they were out on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was uh, was in the back end of the boat and he was sound asleep and all those winds started howling and the disciples got afraid. And remember that must have been quite a storm because most of the these guys were fishermen, and they were accustomed to seeing storms blow up on the Sea of Galilee. But this one was a particularly fierce storm. Jesus is asleep, and uh, and they, you know, they woke him up and said, "Hey, you need to wake up. Uh, aren't you aren't you scared?" And Jesus rebuked the storm. So these uh, and the storm ceased, and uh, so these these guys have seen this. They've seen Jesus preach and teach, and they've seen him deal with uh, some hostility. They've seen him deal with rejection, even among his own people. Remember, his uh, his hometown had been Nazareth, and uh, shortly after he began his ministry, he moved his uh, ministry headquarters to Capernaum. Uh, so and so they had been they had been privy to all of this now that's that's sort of the background and so now uh, here we are near the end of the uh this final Galilean campaign where Jesus is preaching and teaching and um, in Matthew chapter 10 
Jesus says this. He's, he's going to give the, the uh, disciples a, a ministry assignment. He says in Matthew 10 verse 7, He says, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. He's saying, Do all the stuff that you've been seeing me do over this last year. You received without paying, give without pay. Remember, they, they, were, they were not to take any sort of money with them. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Guys, what I want you to realize is that I'm sending you out. You don't need to take a lot of stuff because as you go out and you follow my command, I'm going to provide for you. And the way I'm going to provide for you is that whenever you need something, it's going to be provided. Now, it may be provided in a miraculous way. It may be that the Lord will use somebody else to make that provision, but you'll be provided for. All right, so that was that was the assignment. Again, we're near the end of that great gap. Galilean, that greater Galilean uh, campaign, ministry campaign. And so that brings us to Mark uh, chapter 6. Uh, that's the background for understanding it because now Jesus is going to test them. And, it's, and in fact, there are going to be two tests here. One has to do with groceries and the other has to do with another storm, as we'll see. Mark chapter 6. Beginning at verse 7, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So Mark is telling us the same thing that we just read in Matthew. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And it goes on to tell about all the wonderful things that, uh, that they were doing. And then in verse 30 it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all they had done and taught. So now they've not only seen Jesus do it, do all these things, but they have been anointed with the Holy Spirit to do the same things themselves, and they have had a marvelous experience because they did exactly the same kind of stuff that Jesus had been doing. They, they've had a first-hand experience with the power of the Spirit of God in their lives. Be sure you keep that in mind. They told him all they'd done and taught, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. You, you guys been, you know, you've been working hard. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Notice that what they were doing and what they had been doing was so successful that people wouldn't even leave the disciples alone. They were coming to they didn't have time to go out and eat anywhere. And so he says, well, you know, you need you need to take some time, you need to pull back, you need to refresh yourself. Uh, you spend some time in prayer. Remember, Jesus did that a lot. Verse 34, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something, uh, and buy themselves something to eat. Now, <clears throat> notice, 
the disciples recognize it's getting late in the day. They recognize that these folks have been following them and following Jesus around. And uh, they are tired and they are particularly hungry. So here's, here's, here comes test number one. Now remember, they've had all this experience. They've seen what Jesus has been doing well over a year. They've experienced it firsthand themselves, casting out demons, healing the sick, doing all this kind of stuff. And man, Lord, you just, it's, it's like they would come back and say, Lord, you just wouldn't believe it. But of course the Lord would believe it because He's the one who uh, endued them with, uh, with the power to, to do so. Send them away. So then go buy themselves something to eat. See, for, for them, this, this situation, here's an opportunity to minister to people and glorify the Father. But for the disciples, it was a problem to eliminate. This is not an opportunity to glorify God. This is a, this is a problem that we've got and we need to deal with it. We need to get rid of the problem and the way to get rid of the problem is just send these folks off, tell them, tell them to go find themselves something to eat. And Jesus says, well, He, Jesus, answered them, you give them something to eat. See, why is Jesus testing them now? Because of all the stuff that they've just learned. All the stuff that they've been hearing from Him. The experiences that they've just had. They've come back on a high. And remember, uh, uh, you've heard me talk about it so much. 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 10.13. But how about 1 Corinthians 10.12? Let him who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. We're never more vulnerable to falling than when we think we got it made. And so these disciples are all excited. And now Jesus says, hey, you're right. They're hungry. Why don't you guys give them something to eat? And it never occurs to these guys what to do about that. You know, Would they perform a miracle? Not likely, because Jesus is there with them. But why not say to Jesus, Lord, we know that you have the power to do this. We know you have the power to take care of this. We're just, we're just trusting in you help these folks but notice the response he says um, and they said to him should we go out and buy 200 denarii worth of bread now that's uh, that's um, <clears throat> two thirds almost two thirds of a year of wages to, to buy groceries uh, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat and he said to them how many loaves do you have Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And we know what Jesus did. He blessed the, the fish. He blessed the loaves. He gave them to the disciples and they distributed the food. And everybody got something to eat. And there, were, there were like 5,000 men who were there plus unnumbered women, plus, I'm sure, children as well. Now, 
John expands on this uh, on this same thing in John chapter six, and let's just let's just read that John chapter six. This is the very same scenario. John just gives us a few more uh, personal kind of details. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. That was the Roman name for the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him. For he himself, that is Jesus himself, knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, Well, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to, to, to get a little. So see, for again, for as far as Philip was concerned, it was a hopeless situation. Now, now here's, here's, again, don't forget the background. Don't forget the context. Here's a man who had just gotten back from an evangelistic campaign with his friends. They'd been sent out two by two and had had marvelous experiences where God had just provided very graciously for them. And yet his solution here is that, oh, this is a hopeless situation. We don't, we don't have enough money, and we can't we can't even we can't have a fundraiser in time enough to to raise enough money to feed all these people. So Jesus continues his test. We saw this in Mark six. We see it again right here, and Jesus. Uh, Jesus goes on to say, he says, uh, one of, uh, verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. So uh, Andrew's out scoping out the crowd saying, let's see, let's see what kind of groceries we've got out here. Uh, it was never with the idea that, that God can take a little bit and make a lot out of it, like he did. Remember uh, with Elisha and the, the woman with the with all the vessels of oil. She's destitute and uh, about to about to go under, and uh, and the Lord just uh, tells Elisha to tell her go out and borrow all these uh, empty jars and start pouring that that little bit of oil that you got start start filling up jar and she just filled up jar after jar after jar after jar god took the little that she had and just made so much out of it she was able to pay all her taxes she could uh, and she could provide for her and for her for her son so this has not occurred apparently to andrew because for andrew uh it was a hopeless situation because all he'd been able to find was a was a kid's lunch and he knew that a couple of fish and five hush puppies just weren't going to cut it as far as uh, this, this many people uh, were concerned. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. They could come back for seconds if they wanted to. And when they had eaten their fill, 
he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, what was Jesus doing here? This was a form of rebuke. Because all they had when the when it started, you know, this is a this is not an opportunity to glorify God in their mind. This was a problem that needed to be solved. And the best way to solve it is to send everybody home. Well, why don't you feed them? Well, we don't have enough money to feed them. Well, I found a kid over here who's got a lunch, but I mean, what are you going to do with a couple of fish and a few hush puppies? That's not going to feed this, this kind of crowd. And yet Jesus used what was there to meet the need and to bring glory to himself and also to rebuke these guys who just moments earlier, perhaps a day earlier, had said, you just won't believe how it was working. It was just like you said, Jesus. We were casting out demons and healing the sick and doing all this stuff, but it never occurred to them. It never occurred to them that the solution to this, this this was an opportunity to glorify God, and all they saw in front of them was a problem. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And it's at that point, of course, and uh, if you read verse 15, that's when when Jesus began to uh, to withdraw again. So what was Jesus' solution? They, they, for them, for the disciples, it was a problem. For Jesus, the solution was to use what was available and to ask the Father to bless it and to multiply it. So faith in Him certainly is more, more than enough. More than enough. Now, the test is not over. How would you say they did on test number one after coming back from their amazing campaign mission? Yeah, they, they did not do well on this test at all. Test number two. And it has to do with a storm. Now, they remember, they've already had some experience with a storm before where Jesus was asleep in the boat and He woke up and rebuked the storm and everything calmed down. And in fact, they were overwhelmed by that. Thinking, man, who is this guy? Well, now, they've been around this guy now. for the, And this guy is none other than the Son of God. And they've been around Him so they should be aware of all of these things. Again, in John chapter 6, it says in verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, that is, the, the people. I mean, you know, here he is, he's healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, and, and particularly feeding them. Uh, here's somebody we want to have around, we just... We were going to make you king. And says Jesus withdrew. Why? Because it was not time yet. And uh, Jesus is, is indeed king, but his kingship would come a different way. He is not going to bypass the cross, which would come the, uh, the next spring. Mark chapter 6, back to Mark chapter 6 again, and we pick up the story uh, in verse 45. Now remember, the disciples have seen God's provision in all, and uh, particularly as the twelve of them stood there with baskets of loaded with uh, hush puppies, and perhaps pieces of fish as well, where they were holding those baskets, and those were baskets not only of leftover food, but they were baskets of rebuke. Why, why, why don't you trust me, guys? Why don't you bring why don't you, what you perceive as a problem, why don't you bring to me? 
Because I've got the solution. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, that's immediately after, after all this has taken place and Jesus now has withdrawn, it says, He made His disciple. Notice, He didn't say, you know, it might be a good idea. No, it says He made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side to Bethsaida while He dismissed the crowd. And after He had taken leave of them, He went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. Now, why why were the disciples in the boat and why were they out on the Sea of Galilee at night? Because that's where Jesus told them to be. So they, they were doing what they were told. They were not out of the will of God. They were exactly where they were supposed to be. It says, um, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Alright, so now a storm's brewing. And Jesus is not in the boat. He's up on the mountain where He's been praying. And about the fourth watch of the night, that would be sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw Him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw Him and were terrified. But immediately He spoke to them and said, Take heart, it's I. Don't be afraid and he got into the boat with them now incidentally this is the same situation in which peter said you know lord if it really is you let let me uh walk out there with you and and of course he walked on the water briefly uh jesus had put them in the storm's way uh they were initially were terrified by jesus presence and when they discovered that it was jesus and not a ghost then that's when peter asked permission and the lord said yeah come on out here and he walked on water I, I, i've often wondered about that scenario because you got the 11 others you know i i hear people giving peter a hard uh, giving peter a hard time because it says when he saw the waves and he began to sink and they say oh he just he just didn't have faith well think about those 11 guys that didn't get out of the boat uh, they didn't they didn't have enough faith to even put their leg across the gunwale to even think about getting out on that water. I've, I've often wondered if it was uh, Thomas who was back in the boat, you know, after Peter stepped out there, somebody like Thomas would say, hey, don't you know you can't do that kind of stuff? And <laughs> I don't, you know, now I'm just, I'm obviously I'm kidding about this, but, uh, but this, uh, again, this is a situation in which Jesus had placed them, and it was a terrifying situation for them. But it was a testing situation as well. They they acknowledged Jesus and they worshipped Him because it goes on to say, but immediately He spoke to them, take heart, it's I, don't be afraid. And He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not... Notice, notice this, notice this. For they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hard. Now we're talking about, we're talking about a storm on the Sea of Galilee and it says their hearts were hardened 
Now, this is not a judicial kind of hardening like you see with Pharaoh, where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What what this is talking about in the in the life of a believer is insensitivity. You know, we we become insensitive to to the things that 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 God often is doing, and the way that he he works in our lives. And most of the time, the reason that we become insensitive is because we have learned to trust in ourselves more than trusting in God. And as we trust in ourselves and we discover that, you know, I can handle this situation if I'm a real winsome kind of person. Uh, I can talk my way out of anything. And while that may work, the truth is it's, it's not very glorifying to the Lord, is it? It's, there's nothing wrong with being winsome. But am I going to trust in my winsomeness or am I going to trust in the living God who's revealed Himself in the Lord Jesus Christ? It says, They were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. What about the loaves? They didn't understand that Jesus is the real bread. He's the true bread of life. Their hearts were hardened. They just they just didn't get it. You know, the, uh, the Bible says in, in Proverbs 29, verse 1, he who is often reproved uh, is suddenly cut off, and that without remedy. Now, that's a reference to judicial hardening. You keep saying no, and you keep saying no. And remember, you read Romans chapter 1, and uh, three or four times in there it says God turned them over. And then you read the book of Exodus, uh, we, uh, the part that's quoted in uh, in Romans uh, chapter nine, where God talks about Pharaoh, and He says, "For this very purpose, I raised you up, Pharaoh, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth." Therefore. Paul concludes, God has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy, and He hardens whom He wants to harden. And see, God gets glory both ways. Uh, God gets glory for those upon whom He shows mercy. He gets glory for His mercy and His grace and His kindness and His love. For those who continue to say no, those whose hearts are hardened and are hardened in this case, uh, specifically where it says... God has hardened their hearts, then God also is glorified. He's glorified in the in his sense of in in his justice and in his wrath uh, and in um, and in his dealing in righteousness with the unrighteous. We don't like to think about those things all the time, I know. But here we're talking about not judicial hardening, but we're talking about a, a, the spiritual insensitivity that can develop in a believer, and that's what's happened. Well, except in the case, obviously, of Judas Iscariot. But that's what's happened in the case of these these disciples here. They didn't understand about the loaves. What, what was the whole point of the loaves? Well, the whole point of the loaves was so that uh, was so that Jesus would uh, would be glorified and people would understand that uh, that it was necessary to to trust in the Lord Jesus. Let's look for a moment at uh, Psalm 73. Uh, this is from the NIV because uh, and it, and it deals with this whole issue of insensitivity. It says, When my heart was grieved, and my, uh, remember Psalm 73 is an interesting psalm in that it's not one written by David, it's written by Asaph, who was apparently the choir director. And uh, one of the choir directors, and one of the things that Asaph says is he says, when I look around me, I, don't, I just don't understand things. Because uh, 
the good guys seem to be getting shafted and the guys who are doing the wrong thing seem to be doing really well. Uh, they're getting the gold mine. I'm getting the shaft. At one point, he even says, I have kept my hands pure for nothing, which is very revealing about Asaph because essentially he's saying, well, they're, you know, for doing the right thing, there, there certainly should have been something in it for me. But he goes on to say as he, as he comes to realize, uh, what's happening in his life. In Psalm 73, verse 21, it says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. In other words, I wasn't wasn't acting in a reasonable fashion. It was more like an animal, like I was doing things that were instinctive. And then, and then notice the change in his attitude in verse 23. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the Sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all of your deeds. Notice there's a, in the early part of the psalm, there's a, there's a real insensitivity on the part of Asaph. And then as, uh, as he comes to see how God is working in his life, he, he also reminds himself, you know, while it's true that, that those folks are maybe doing, outwardly doing better than, than I'm doing, the truth is, is that, you know, they've got one foot in the grave and another on a banana peel, and they're headed for a really bad situation. And I'm not, because you've got me by my right hand. You, you counsel me, you look after me, you guide me, you do all of these things, and that's why he says, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. And and incidentally, this uh, this insensitivity is has been a persistent problem for the disciples. If you look uh, back. Uh Again, in Mark chapter 8, uh, beginning at verse 16, it says, The disciples began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Notice the, 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 the heart of the believer can can be hardened again we're not talking about from a judicial standpoint but just spiritually insensitive having eyes do you not see having ears do you not hear don't you remember when i broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up and they said to him, Twelve. And, the, and, and then he re, reminds them of the time before that. And the seven for the four thousand. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? See, what, what was Jesus doing? He said, Look, guys. You keep hearing all these things from me. You keep seeing what I do. You've experienced it personally. And then yet, when you're faced with this, you don't know what to do. The thing to do is to turn to me. The thing to do is to trust in me. In Hebrews chapter 3, um, in verse 12 and uh, following, it says, See to it, brothers. Now, these are, these are professing uh, believers in Christ. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a, 
uh, a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sins, what kind of sin? Hardened by what kind of sin? Well, hardened by the fact that very often I can make things work on my own. You know, my own sinful strategies. The, the fact that I know that I'm supposed to be developing uh, uh, fruit of, the fruit of the Spirit. But remember, it's not the fruit of the Christian, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that the Spirit of God develops in our lives. And, and, it, and it takes time for us to... to mature uh, just like it takes time for a pear or a peach or anything else that you know starts off with a little with a little bud and turns into a bloom and then the next thing you know there's this little thing there that's a that's a peach and uh, but it's going to take months before that thing really gets big enough and gets a little blush on it and it's got the fuzz on it and by then it's really mature it takes it takes time and a lot of us don't don't care about that we're we're afraid that uh, somebody's going to think less of us because we're not as mature as we ought to be and so we sort of develop our own fruit uh, what uh, what John Sanderson in his book, The Fruit of the Spirit, calls artificial fruit. We develop artificial fruit. Instead of the real McCoy that the Spirit of God works into our lives, we come up with something else. Uh, you know, for example, I, uh, patience is a good example. I, probably none of you have a problem with patience, but I struggle with it. We say, okay, part the, the Bible says that the Part of the fruit of the Spirit, one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is that of patience. I'm supposed to be learning to be a patient person as my, as my Lord and Master, the Lord Jesus, is, a, is patient. He is patient and long-suffering toward me, and thank God that He is. But I don't see that developing in my life as rapidly as I would like for it to. I, you know, I get little glimpses every once in a while that I'm getting along that I that I'm making some progress, but you know I really want I really want it to be known that 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 I'm really developing patience. That would be the attitude of a lot of people. And so I said, well, one of the one of the ways I can do that is I can just begin to act like I just don't care anymore. You know, and if I act like I don't care, then that looks like patience, and it's going to fool people into thinking that we have patience. That's just an example. But that's that's the point that I'm making where he says, you know, don't you have ears to hear? Don't you have eyes to see? Don't you understand? You you know, I provide when I fed the 5,000, how, how many baskets did you have left over? 12. When I fed the 4,000, how many baskets did I have left did you have left over? There were 7. Don't you see that by trusting in me that I can use whatever there is I can ask the Father to bless it and to multiply it and there will be plenty for everybody. And in fact, it's even going to be plenty left over. You can have it for a snack tonight if you want to. Or have it for breakfast first thing tomorrow. Don't you yet understand? Why didn't they understand? Well, because they, like us, were sort of self-absorbed. 
and uh, and certainly they were they were uh, we see them nation absorbed i guess is a good term to use because even after the resurrection remember the first question that they had for the lord jesus after the resurrection you know he uh, um i'm sorry not after the resurrection but just prior to the ascension i'm getting ahead of myself lord will you at this time establish the kingdom of israel in other words we're we're ready to to get rid of these hobnail sandals of the Romans, uh, it must be it must be getting close to that time. The Lord says, "No, you just you need to stay in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high, and then once you do that, you're to you're to take the gospel everywhere. You're to you're to go and preach the gospel everywhere. And again, that passage from Hebrews chapter three: See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God." Don't become insensitive, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, we fool ourselves into thinking, I can handle this. Well, the truth is, I can't. I really can't. I, I give you, as many of you know, uh, we've been working on a, building a little guest cottage uh, at the, out at the house. We have seven grandchildren, and uh, you know, if all the grandchildren and all the parents show up, there's, <clears throat> there's just a. It'd be nice to have a place to have all these folks. Uh, besides having them just scattered all over the house, so we've been building this little cottage, and it's been you know it's been going great. A lot of the work I've I've done myself, uh, and you know the the big things like framing and roofing, we've we've hired that out. Well, got to the point where it was time to put up sheetrock, and so I've started putting up sheetrock, and it became evident to me after about two days of sheetrocking that this was probably not my wheelhouse. You know. I, I I can do electrical work and do some plumbing and and uh, a lot of cabinetry and those kinds of things, but sheetrock is uh, takes a special skill. And so I had I had put up uh, a number of sheets and finally decided we need to hire somebody who really knows what they're doing to complete this and you know do all the joints and all that kind of stuff. So I we made some inquiries and uh, found a guy who. Uh, who came out, looked at it, said, uh, gave us a price, said that seems reasonable. When can you start? You know, I can start in a couple of days. And then the next question was, well, how long do you think it'll take? And he said, well, this is a relatively small job. So he said probably four or five days. Well, I'm no fool. So I uh, sometimes I act like it, but I'm not. And the I thought, okay, four or five days that he says means it's probably going to take about ten days to complete this this task. So I said, that's fine. So they they arrived when they said they were going to arrive, and of course the first thing they did, you got all this stuff inside the cottage, doors and cabinets and just all kinds of stuff that's got to be moved out of the cottage, and the only place to put it was in the barn. Well, now the barn is where I keep the equipment for cutting grass and doing all kind of outdoor tasks around the house. But I thought to myself, hey, we're looking at a week, a week and a half, and then all this stuff will be moved back into the cottage. And uh, so if the grass gets a little bit long, it's no big deal. If there's some things I can do, 
I can work around that. So that was fine. It took them half a day just to move everything out of the uh, cottage and get it into the barn. And I mean, it was <clears throat> that barn was just packed. You you couldn't get to anything. Well. The guy started, and he was just really doing a spectacular job, but one of the things that happened was that he started having some family problems, and as a result of that, he uh, he didn't make it get through in five days. He didn't get through in 10 days. He didn't get through in 15 days. And on the 19th day, <clears throat> I was, uh, when he drove up, smiling in his truck, I was outside uh, trying to clean up around the pool and I'd been out there probably working for about two hours and I was drenched with sweat and I was thinking to myself, I have got all this fancy equipment inside that barn that is specifically made to do this kind of stuff that would make this easy to do and here I am out here just about to kill myself getting this stuff cleaned up doing it by hand the way I used to do it a long time ago and the more I thought about it the more I fumed over it well that was about the time that he drove up and uh, I had and he he said hello and that was the wrong thing to say and I walked over to his truck I said you told me it was going to take four or five days I said this is day number 19 and you're not anywhere near being through with this I said I've got a mess on my hands I can't get to anything in the barn to take care of all this and the more I went on the more the, the angrier and the more impatient I became and then I and then I lit into him. Now, now, let me tell you this about this guy. This guy had been in prison twice for for drug stuff. Pretty pretty good sized guy. And this whole time that I was on this tirade, letting him have it, he never said a word. Now he he come he shared his testimony with me where he had come to know Christ and his life had changed dramatically, but he still had a lot of family problems. But anyway, I lit into him and then I and then after talking about all the all the stuff that was going on and how inconvenient it was for me, then I lit into him and I said, and and you are have not been faithful in what you're doing. You haven't been showing up uh, like you're supposed to. You promised you'd be through with this in five days. I was willing to give you more than that. But here it is, day 19, and uh, you're not anywhere close to being through. And I just went on and on. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of my tirade, I realized... Apparently, because of the Spirit of God, I realized what I was doing. And I just began to weep. Now, here I am. I'm standing out in the yard about three or four yards away from this guy's door. And he's still sitting in the truck. He's not said a word other than the initial hello, which initiated all of this. And I just began to weep. I mean, it just it just poured out of me, and I began to sob. And I mean, I was just my shoulders were just heaving. And you know what God did? The guy got out of the truck, walked over to me, put his arms around me, and began to pray for me. That's what God did. And the more he prayed, the more I wept. I apologized to him. I asked him to forgive me, and he did. And on the twenty ninth day, he did finish his work. Poor guy, he, he really had a lot of problems at home. But I tell that story because of a couple of things. One, 
it really shows the faithfulness of God. I pray that God would help me with my impatience. And I thought I was doing pretty well. But that day, it became real obvious that I was not doing well at all. And that whatever patience I thought I had, it was just sort of a put-on kind of patience. It was not something that the Spirit of God was really working into my life. Some of it maybe was, but a lot of it was just my putting up with the weaknesses of other people and just writing it off. And God says, no, that's not good enough. I want you to see this about yourself, Bradshaw. And boy, I saw it that day. I saw it in spades. God really is faithful to show us things. And with that in mind, let's. Uh, oh, mercy! I spent more time talking about that than I had planned to. Uh, let's just look briefly at uh, at the uh, at the uh, conclusion here as we draw uh, draw this to a close. Uh, notice in your uh, in your notes there, as the master teacher and loving father, God tests all of His children. Jesus was tested by His Father. It says in Hebrews 2.10, it was fitting that He for whom and by whom are all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect or complete through suffering. He, he, was, he was tested. And God, is te- God tests us uh, and it's always for our good and it ultimately is for His glory. You and I as believers in Christ should welcome, not fear God's test. Why? Why should we welcome them? Well, well remember what it says in James, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Well, why should I count it all joy? Well, for one thing, God's not going to be surprised and therefore He's not going to be disappointed in the way things turn out. God is never going to reject us because we fail a test. But neither is God going to give up on us. Remember, Elijah, I guess, is a good example. Here he was, you know, at the top of Mount Carmel, and they have the, the, the God answers by fire and consumes this sacrifice, and the, and the people began to shout, you know, that the Lord, Yahweh, He is God. Yahweh, He is God. It's not Baal, it's Yahweh, He is God. And then, uh, and then Elijah goes down to the brook at the at the base of the mountain, and they and they uh, kill all of the prophets of Baal and the, and Jezebel's prophets, and uh, and then uh, the, the rain after a three and a half year drought, the rain begins to begins to pour, and and uh, and Elijah girds up his loins and runs ahead of uh, of ah- King Ahab's chariot. Uh, back to Jezreel and uh, just a marvelous time as far as Elijah's having and then Miss Jezebel you know Ahab gets back home and says uh, and Jezebel says to him well dear how was your day and he says you're not going to believe what happened at Carmel and begins to explain all of those things and Jezebel's response is may the gods do to me and more also if by this time tomorrow Elijah is not in the same condition as all those prophets of mine which meant a death sentence. And what was Elijah's response to that after this tremendous success that he's had, after this tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God? He ran away. In fact, ran, wound up going over 300 miles down to Sinai, and that was where God confronted him. Remember the earthquake and the fire? And then there was the still, small voice. And the still, small voice said, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? This is not where I called you to be. You're supposed to... And, and God reinstated him. See, he, he flunked the test, but God never gave up on him and sent him back and sent him back north. I mean, he, he, had, he had to make another long trip to get back up to where he was supposed to be. But that's how faithful God is. And as believers in Christ, you and I ought to be preparing for God's testing too. We need to read and study the the teacher's textbook, which of course is the Bible. We need to present ourselves to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, the Scripture says. We need to expect to be tested, not if I'm going to be tested, but when am I going to be tested. Count it all joy when you meet these trials. And pray, ask God for wisdom to respond in faith in Him, not fear or not I can handle this on my own, but how would how can I honor You, Father, by demonstrating faith in You? What is it that You would have me to do? Give me wisdom in this situation. The Bible says if any of you lacks wisdom, just ask God. He'll give it to you. And we do to evaluate ourselves regularly in the light of God's Word. Examine yourselves to see if you really are in the faith. Test yourselves, the Apostle Paul writes. Remember that the teacher has prepared us for the test. But the teacher wants to show... And the teacher knows what we know. But the teacher wants us to know what we only think that we know. He wants to... The the teacher, the Lord Jesus, wants to really show us exactly what we know. Where we fall short. Not so He can say yada, 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 yada. So ho 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 ho, so that we can repent and so that we can trust him all oh, for grace to trust him more. Remember to expect that during the test the teacher is going to be silent. Don't let that bother you. But remember that the outcome of God's tests is always for our good and for his glory. He's going to show us the areas of our weakness, not so he can give us a hard time about it, but so that we can grow strong in those areas, strong as we trust in him, strong as we grow more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God for His great grace and mercy. Amen. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.